Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. Hey, when I was uh, very young, I grew up in West Milwaukee. I grew up blocks away from then County Stadium, uh, then Miller Park, now AmFam Field. And so as a child, I got to sit on the curb and listen to the roars of the crowd as I could hear them hit home runs and, and hear the, all the hype, and I would see all the fans. Now, if you're not familiar with the West Milwaukee area, uh, where I grew up in now back then was not very developed, except for there's a lot of developments on every corner. Every corner had a bar. Every single corner in West Milwaukee where I grew up, I had a bar. And so it'd be a bar on this end, a bar on that end. No matter where I went around, uh, there were these corner bars. And as children growing up during this time, we had a great time because we pretty much just like left and came home at dinner time. And so we would explore. And so in the city, we would drive around the block with our bikes. And if there was a tree in the city, we'd try to climb it. It was a very different urban lifestyle than those who are growing up in Washington County. So for me as a young child, I'd go out and we'd explore, but we had two very clear rules that all of us had as children. Number one, we were not to play in the street. Of course we did, but we were told not to play in the street. We had, it was very busy, there were cars driving, and there was just a lot of uh, opportunities for us to get hurt. Do not drive or play in the street. Secondly, do not go by the bars. So as a young child, the two things, of course, that I wanted to do was to play in the street and go by the bars. It makes sense, right? So what I heard was this folklore of what was happening in these corner bars. In these corner bars, I heard that they sold candy. And not only did they have candy, these folklores would start to rise up among the neighborhood kids of how these corner bars looked exactly like Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. <laughs> In these bars, you would walk in and I would hear these stories of cascading waterfalls of chocolate and just rows and rows of every candy that you could imagine. And then the one friend who ventured into the corner bar who came out smiling ear to ear with his pack of now and laters and box of nerds said, it is all true. (laughs) All I needed was a quarter. So I went into my piggy bank Um, And I grabbed my quarter and I was so nervous because we had a group of friends like, who's going to go? Who's going to go? We can't go. We're not supposed to go in there, right? And we're kind of processing this whole adventure of who is going to go in and get us candy. And the one time I said, I'm going to go. And so like a space cadet going into unknown chartered waters, I slowly made my way into the corner bar and opened the door expecting to see unicorns and rainbows and candy flowing. And what I found was very different. What I found when I walked into this bar was it was dark. And everything was that pale 70s, like that burnt orange glass. Remember that for those who were around that time? It was full of smoke. I couldn't breathe. I walked into this, and all I remember are these memories. I remember being scared out of my mind. I remember people yelling at me. I remember going up to the bar, seeing the candy rack. Now, the candy rack, it was true they had candy, but like three things of candy. It wasn't Willy Wonka. 
And so I put my quarter and I pointed at something. The guy said, here, now get out of here. And I came out of the bar feeling very different. My innocence at that time got broken because here I had this idea of how great this story was going to be and how I would be come out with just handfuls of candy and I walked out with a box of nerds saying that was not what I thought it was. And what I didn't know the whole time was that my parents were not being mean to me. My parents were doing something very important. They were protecting me from something. Now, because I had not experienced that before, I thought they were holding something back from me, that there was something wonderful, this great story, and they are just mean, and they don't like me, and I'm missing something awesome. They're keeping me from candy. And the truth was, they're keeping me from a place I shouldn't have been in at that age. And at a young age, I started to understand something that can be so hard for all of us. All of us can relate to this story when it comes to sin in your life. Think about this for a second. Any time in which you've engaged in something that either you knew God said wasn't right, or maybe you didn't know, but you had this, I just want to explore and find because something great is being held from me. You went into this adventure thinking this is awesome, and at the end you found out this is not awesome. And that's where we're going to pick up our story today. And we're going to be digging into the Word of God and how it all began, just like the story I shared in Genesis chapter 3. I encourage you to open your Bibles or Bible apps if you have them, because it's a long passage. Uh, I'm going to read it to you. We're not going to put it on the screen behind me because it's very long today. Genesis chapter 3. Uh, and what you're going to find over this, in this passage, as you're going there, is the story of the fall or when sin enters. To catch you up a little bit where we've been so far, God has created, God has made everything. He says, this is amazing. This is, he uses the word in our scriptures, good. He loves everything that has been made. And so we, as humans, were made for a purpose. Our purpose is that we are caretakers. God actually built us for a job of sharing a responsibility with God that we get to take care of his new creation. We take care of the earth, we take care of the animals, we name them. Like humans have a very cool role in God's creation. Set apart from everything else that God's created, we have this relationship with this creator God that was really unique and special. And then inside of that, in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, God creates a boundary for humans. He creates a boundary for man, and he says this in this passage. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, I'm going to repeat this again because I really want this passage to stick into your mind because we're going to go back to it again. It's very important to listen to the words of God here. It says this, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So Adam has given this instruction. You literally have everything that's out here. You can play, go play, go do fun things, but do not, do not, do not eat from this tree. Do not eat from this tree. And that's where we're going to pick up our passage now in Genesis chapter 3. Verse 1 says this. 
Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit on the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the woman and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree I command you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because, of, because you have done this, cursed are you among all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. I will put between enmity between you and the woman and because your offspring and hers, between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. You're, with painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree, which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Really, really in-depth passage that we're digging into today. Because we see the story or the origin of how everything started to fall apart. Why is there evil in the world? It's our fault. It is 150% our fault. And I love this passage. If you look at it from a marriage counseling perspective, what did you do? She made me do it. Eve, what did you do? He made me do it. And they're pointing in all these different directions. And you can see in the very beginning of the origin of the fall, how sin immediately is corrupting everything about them. So much so that they're sitting there, they're like, 
we are buck naked. Like, who told them that buck naked is bad, right? And so they first are ashamed, and then they are hiding, and then they are blaming, and sin is already rolling down the hill and cascading at such an immense rate. But by the time the Lord God, who is very aware of what's going on, he's not asking, what did you do? He is very aware of what has happened. By the time that he now interacts with them, they are fully immersed in sin. It's not, oops, we ate from a tree. Oops, we didn't know what was going on. They knew very well not to eat from that tree. And they said, you know what? We are going to do it anyways. I think we can relate to that this morning with your sin, can't we? If you look at the sin in your life, can't you honestly say, you know, there's just times I'm like, I don't really care. I don't care what God says. I don't care. You don't know my story, Jason. If you knew my story, you'd understand and you would say to me, well, just a little bit of sin is okay because it's not a big deal. And look, everyone else is doing it and point directions in every direction instead of point to ourselves and saying, no, I'm failing and it's my fault. It's at the very origin of what we see in sin. So there's a clear pattern we see here in what happens in temptation. And this is something to take notes if you're a note taker or if you are processing this uh, to read or to go through later. A couple of things that to note that has, nothing has changed in the world of sin. First of all, Satan plants doubt by calling into question the commands of God. He plants doubt into calling into question the commands of God. I don't really have to get deep into that because it's so clear. He asks Eve the question, did God really say that? Did he really say that? Did he really say that you're going to die? Because, I mean, are you sure did he, was it in Hebrew or Greek? Did he, did he have the right language? Maybe the translation was wrong? Did he say something there that maybe you're missing? Because Eve, I think you should really process this. Maybe you don't have it right. We have more information at our fingertips than any time in human history, yet there's more information currently that is happening both online and in our lives and in the Christian world than any time ever because we are all as Christians saying, is the Bible really true? Did God really say that? Does God really not want me to be happy? And so your own faith walk is questioned all of the time because of information. That's air quotes for those who are podcasting me. Information. Christian nationalism of I'm a Christian and I'm a nationalist is getting tied together into this that I have to be in a political party to love God. And so now if I don't believe that, somehow I'm not an American and not a Christian at the same time. Who said that? When did that become a thing? And then we get into this whole thing where denominations and pastors are saying, I don't want to talk about that piece of the Bible because that part is, it doesn't really count anymore. I just want to talk about the parts I like. In fact, what I'm going to do as a pastor now, is I'm going to take the parts I like and change it so it fits my life, so then my life looks good to all of my congregants. You can see them on TV every Sunday morning. Things are getting so twisted, so messed up. Did God really say that? And because we have information at our fingertips and it's coming at such a huge amount, Guess what Satan is using in the year 2023? He is using information to say, did God really say that? And so here I am as your ultra-traditional pastor is going to say this. You need to read the word of God for yourself. 
Read the word of God. If I am saying something that is not true according to the word, then you call me out because I'm accountable to God, to the word of God. You must read. I love that you listen to my sermons. It makes me happy. Thank you. (laughs) Read the word yourself. Open the book of Genesis. Read it. There are, I know there's lots of interpretations and thoughts. We're not talking about these little gray or side areas. I'm talking about, did God really say that? And I'm going to tell you something right now, friends. Because we as pastors stand on the word of God, and we stand on issues that are not popular, and we say, no, the word of God says this, and we stand to that, that makes us, quote unquote, unpopular in certain circles. And I could care less. Because I will stand on the word of God. The word of God is truth. And if that says the word of God says sin is sin, it's my job to say, friend, stop sinning. Because my job isn't to change your life. My job is to show you what the Lord God has said so that he can change your life. And if I don't tell you the truth, shame on me. And I'm accountable for God for that. Did God really say that? Did he? I mean, if we don't know what God said, how are you going to know what to run from? If you don't know what God said, everything looks awesome in the world. In fact, if I don't know what God said, I can make Jesus into my homeboy who's my boy who loves me no matter what. What's up, God? We're cool. And I ignore him when I don't want him, and I want him when I want him. When I want him, I text him uncontrollably. When I don't want him, I ghost him. Maybe that's your faith walk right now. I want God when it's good, and when I don't want him, I don't want to hear that stuff right now. You don't understand my story, Jason. Friends, I understand your story because I struggle with the same thing in my own life every single day, every single week. And there are times in which I look at the word of God and say, I don't like that. And I go to God and I say, God, I don't like that. I let him know, I don't like that. You don't know my situation right now, God. He doesn't respond with, okay, just do whatever you want. The response is the word of God and truth is truth. Because he is a good father. And this is the part that I wanted to share with you today because when we hear these things, we can start to feel this this huge authoritarian, angry God. We equate God to some mythological Roman Zeus who's going to shoot down lightning bolts at us and smite, smite, smite us, and he's mad at us all the time. Our God is a loving God that sent his son to die to free us from the sin that we're creating. He is not here to destroy us. He's here to save us. And if he says, this is bad for you, I trust him because he made you. It makes sense. If he says, guys, this is sin, it's outside of what I have, we have to believe that what he says is truth and that we will find truth in what he has for us. Because the first line of defense is knowing what God said. The second line is, do you actually do it? Do you actually do it? Like, I know, I know God said like, I mean, like, I know lying is wrong, but you don't understand. My coworkers are terrible. I'm like, I believe you. So stop lying because now you're terrible like them. Like, what's the purpose of the story, right? We have to believe that what the word of God has for us is good. And you go back to why you were created. You were created with a purpose, a very clear purpose. God has created you to be an image bearer and a caretaker, And when we start living outside, remember this, you're made to have community with God. We broke the relationship. We are made for community. And when we live outside of that, it's like a fish on dry land. 
It doesn't work. We start gasping, we're dying, we're trying to find anything that makes us happy, and God's like, you're a fish. Bro, go in the water. You're supposed to be in relationship with me. You're not made to be sinful. You're made in my image. Your purpose was perfect. You chose to break away, and now I'm going to bring you back. Come back to the water. Stop sinning. It's killing you. And we're like, I hear you, God, but I really, really want the candy. I know you're saying I shouldn't go there. I know, I know. In fact, if I could get a dollar for every time when I'm doing any sort of pastoral counseling, I said, I know. I would be, shoot, I wouldn't be pastoring. I'd be rich. <laughs> I know. I know it doesn't matter unless you do. And so now the question comes in, did God really say that? She now starts to get twisted and like, well, wait a minute, he said that, but she didn't do what he said. So if you are very knowledgeable in the word of God, and I've met people who are way smarter than me, unless you are doing it, it doesn't matter. You can read your Bible every day and still completely be off the word of God. Knowing the word is not enough. Doing the word coupled together keeps you out of sin. And that's where we take a look at where Eve was at. Number two, Satan twists the truth and he tells Eve that God lied to her. And if you, we go back to what he said, he just twists it. Sin isn't always as obvious as we make it. In our world, they say, well, sin is like robbing a bank. Sure, sure. Uh, that, sure, I got you. That's a big obvious one. What about just a little twist? Let me, let me be clear. A little bit of a twist. You know, my husband doesn't really give me the attention I need as a woman, so I have just a, a really deep friendship with my coworker, and we're just really deep friends. He understands me, and I share all my thoughts with him. Twist. You think that twist is going to go well or end well? And I'm going to say you can't have friends or friends of opposite. I'm not saying that, but you know what I'm saying. It's that little bit of twist. Well, God, you're not doing this, so I'm just going to do a little bit over here. Did God really say as a woman that you aren't supposed to be fulfilled from a man? Like, shouldn't you have friendship? I mean, your husband ignores you. That's, man, that's hard. I don't know. Maybe, maybe Bob can be a really good friend to you. Not one time have I done premarital counseling that says, you know, Jason, I'm so excited. In five years, I'm going to have an affair and get a divorce. I can't wait. <laughs> Twist. That's what sin does. It creeps in. There's doubt to it. And we start to believe a lie. And as that lie starts to infiltrate us and we start to believe this lie, this lie starts to now dig down so deep into us and we're so corrupted by it. We now look up to God and say, God, how could you do this to me? How would you let me get here? How did you, now I've got my whole world's falling apart, God. Why would you let this happen? And God the whole time was says, you're a fish in water. Why are you on dry land? I made you to be in community. I made you to live this way. Why are you living in sin? Sin is going to kill you. It is killing and destroying you. We have to stop believing. Friends, we have to stop believing that a little bit of sin is okay. It is not at any time going to benefit us because we're not made for it. And the problem always is this. Sometimes I really don't like what. That's the problem, right? If we're just going to be honest, sometimes I really just don't like God's way. I really don't like what he says. I really don't like the fact that I'm not getting what I want. I really don't necessarily care for his choices. 
since I'm already here, and I'm all pumped up, I had lots of coffee, and I was in Florida, and it was nice and sunny, and you guys were cold, I'm ready to go, I'm going to bring it to the next level for you. One of the things I see the most obvious, clear, community, culture aspect is what our belief is when it comes to sexuality. When it comes to sexuality, we believe and have believed a lie in any of its facets in which sexuality is purely created for my pleasure and my desire and anything that I want at any time that I want is for me, by me, and has nothing to do with you. In fact, you have no right to question me from a stage about how I live my life sexually. This is a common topic right now among all of our culture, no matter what we talk about. Sexuality is all about me. In fact, I watched a, uh, a trend, a, a meme and a trend that's going on right now. It's happening from Christians, younger Christians, mostly in their 30s, who are rejecting Christianity. And one of the things I watched, I watched this uh, one reel, it's called, if you guys understand what a reel is. Watch this one reel, is this young lady, and she started to share how that now she is free. She's free from the oppression of the church that told her that sexuality was something that was for uh, her united with a spouse and that this sexuality was a beautiful thing created by God and that her sexuality should be something that is pure and something that is intimate and her sexuality is something to be cherished. And she's talking about this. She goes, all of this was a lie and I was oppressed. I was oppressed that someone would say to me, I can't express myself. For 20 years, I've been in oppression that I cannot express myself how I want to express myself. I want to express myself, and she goes into all the details which don't need to be shared today. And she goes into this and says, now I am free, I am happy, and I am who I want to be. And I said, that sounds awesome. I think if we are all honest with ourselves, just a little bit honest, at least the dudes in here. I don't know about ladies. I don't understand you, so I'll say about the dudes. <laughs> I think part of us all want that too. Just like, I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, express how I want. This is, this is excellent. I can do whatever I want the way I want. But the truth of the matter is what I want is tainted by sin. And the word of God calls me to sexual purity and to abstain from sexual immorality because sexual immorality kills us. It breaks down how we were made sexually into something that is not what God had for us. And so it leaves us empty and broken. It leaves people hurting and crying. And it leaves us with a culture that looks exactly like it does today. We're not getting better. We're getting worse. And I'm just going to ask the question. I didn't write the book in fact, I don't like what some of the times what the book says, but the book says to abstain from these things because it will break me down. It will change me. It's not the way God created me. But the world is telling me, well, you're being oppressed. Express how you want. Who's, who's anyone to say that you should or shouldn't do something? So I'm not here telling you that you should or shouldn't do something. The word of God is telling you, and the word of God is smarter than both Nick and I put together, even though I'm wearing cool glasses now. <laughs> the word of God is truth because God has created a pathway for us to say, you guys are broken and fallen, but listen to me. Listen to me, friends. Children, listen to me. Children, stop sinning. 
It's going to hurt you, destroy you. And this is what's so amazing, guys. I just want, if you're wondering how, if our God is this mean God or loving God, God loved you so much in the middle of all this mess, he has come to send his son to save you. And it says in the word of God that we didn't love God, but he loved us first, that he sent his son, knowing that not only are you as a Christian going to sin, but you're going to keep sinning. And your dad still loves you. You're still the same kid running to the corner bar, even though he told you not to, coming out with your pack and now and later saying, this isn't what I thought. And he says, I love you. Come back to my home. That's how amazing our God is. Because if I was your dad, I'd be done with you and smited you a long time ago. <laughs> That's how amazing God is. So we move into our passage here. We've looked at a couple of things here that, that Satan twists truth and how he lies. And just that twist makes us believe something that's not true. God confronts Adam and Eve, and we're now in verses 12 to 13. He says this, The man said, The woman you put here with me, <laughs> not like, oh, this is flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. That's what he said before. This woman you put here with me. Listen how the relationship has changed. The relationship has changed between Adam and Eve because of sin. That one verse alone, do you know why there's strife between men and women? Because of sin. The woman you put here with me. I wonder what it was like before sin came into it. As they're walking around image bearers, buck naked, having a great time. They're with the animals. They're walking around. They're doing stuff. God walks with them in the cool of the day. Like, hey, God. Hey, Adam. Hey, what's going on? They're having a great time. Everything's perfect. Their relationship to each other is perfect. That not only is sin corrupting themselves, sin is now corrupting relationships. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Thanks a lot for nothing, God. If you read through the lines there, that's, this is your fault. Verse 13, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, so I ate. Sin hides and sin deflects. The things that you do in the dark, that sin that you think you're hiding, it's not hidden by the Lord God Almighty. He knows. We want to hide from that. The secrets that, we, the secrets that we hope to hold, everything we're trying to cover up, all this stuff and say, I just don't want to be real. I don't want to be honest. I'm a shy person. I don't want people to know my truth. Let me tell you something about Nick and myself. Nick, I didn't tell him I was going to say this. Hopefully he's okay with this. Here are all, here are all Nick's sins. <laughs> Nick and myself sit down and we air our dirty laundry to each other. This brother's been in my life before Mosaic was even thought of, in which we'd sit down not to be joyous or to celebrate sin, but to be honest with each other and say, bro, I just got to be real with you right now, like I'm struggling. To have somebody in our life to be honest and real for the purpose of this, to walk with somebody because sin gets our grip on us and sin wants to deflect and hide. And if I keep deflecting and hiding my sin, I'm only going to get sicker. But when I confess my sin and I'm honest about it and I put it out in the forehead and say, God, I don't want this. And the big, huge word we use is repent, which means turn away from it. Brothers in my life, help me through this. Nick is one of the brothers in my life in which I call and say, dude, I'm struggling. And they're like, stop being an idiot. I'm like, thank you for saying that to me. I love it. You are true. And you turn and you repent from it. What do I want to do? I want to go hide and not tell anybody. I, I, it's, real, it's real easy. 
I can come on stage and tell you good jokes and tell a story, and you'd never know the difference of what's going on inside my heart. In fact, that happens on a lot of Sundays for a lot of different places with a lot of different pastors. And I've seen pastors fall, and I've seen pastors struggle, and I've seen all different directions. And usually, this is what I've seen, there's lots of reasons, this is what I've seen in my story. I've seen, I've seen brothers and sisters in ministry fall because of sin that was being hidden. They weren't being honest. Sin wants to hide. Sin wants to deflect. Adam says, well, obviously it's the woman's fault. Eve says, well, obviously it's the serpent's fault. Don't point to me, point to someone else. And the truth is, it's all of your fault. It's all of your fault. You think of the different things that you've gone through in your life, different cascades of choices that you've made in which sin has resulted in really, really bad results. Let's not sugarcoat it anymore because this is a non-sugarcoating morning. Let's just look at what in your life. Are there choices and situations and things in which you have made choices that it was a sinful choice and you knew it and like, eh, it's no big deal, that led to a cascade of pain in which you're now, quote unquote, paying for it. I know there's, there's, there's stuff in my life. I can only assume in yours as well. But if we hadn't have sinned, if we would have chosen God's way, it would have looked totally different. There are things in my life in which I have chose God's way. From a teen on, I said, no, this is the choice I'm making. And that led to a beautiful story in which I don't have those pains. I'm like, God, you are so smart. If I only would listen to you in all things, I, I made this choice. I followed your way. I'm so happy about it. And I made choices. And then I look at the things I didn't do right. I'm like, well, God, you should have told me more or something. I make up my own excuses, right? Sin is terrible. So sin does this. Look at what happens in this cascade of sin. This is not a small thing. Isn't they ate from fruit like, oh, now you're banished. It is starting a cascade of problems. First, you've got the sin in itself, guilt and shame. You want to know what guilt and shame is? It doesn't come from God. It comes from Satan and from sin. Guilt and shame is the result of sin. Secondly, relationship here is broken. And then God curses Adam, curses Eve, curses the serpent, and curses the ground. Listen to this. The first curse is on Eve. To the woman, he said, this is verse 16, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Two things that we notice. All the women in here is like, don't you dare tell me about childbirth, Jason. You don't know? I don't. I'm not saying I do. I only know from my friends, it is hard. I, I got to sit through two of them, and I watched the labor the pain, the struggle, everything that happens in childbearing. And I say, I wonder what it was like before sin. What's childbirth before sin? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. It wasn't what it is now. It isn't painful. It wasn't what has come. But I want you to note here that the purpose of the woman, the gift that God gave her and not man, was childbearing, and that was cursed. The beautiful thing, note here, the beautiful thing that Eve got, that Adam did not get, she got to be a mom. Women, you get to be and have that honor. There gets to be, gets to, that's the word, get to be an opportunity to have this gift that was there, and this gift that was there is now cursed. And the curse of the gift is that it is going to be terrible because I gave you a gift and you rejected it, so this is now the result of your rejection. And then the second thing that we sometimes skip over, if you've heard this verse before, your desire will be for your husband 
And the last sentence, and he will rule over you. What a weird thing to say in a curse. What was the relationship before with Adam and Eve? I don't know, but I'm going I'm to throw some, some darts up there. I'm thinking that it was a 50-50 symbiotic joined connection in which they were equals and perfectly made for each other, with each other, in the presence of God. Now, something broke. And you're going to have this heart, your emotional tie. You're going to be an emotional being in which you desire your husband, and he is not going to give you that back. Because of sin now, you are looking for this husband or this man to help fulfill you. You were completely fulfilled with me. It was perfect, and now you've created the mess. And so now you're not going to feel complete. Ladies, am I speaking a little truth here today? You're not going to feel complete unless somebody helps fulfill you and he's just going to rule over you. He doesn't say he's going to fulfill you. He's going to rule over you. He doesn't say he's going to rule with you. The relationship was shattered. So Adam and Eve, which were together, sin now shattered them in shards. And now man and women in our relationships are completely broken and jacked up. Can we all hit an amen to that? It's the result of sin. Why a relationship the way they are? It's the result of sin. Why, why do we say men are so over here, women are so over there? It's the result of sin. We were supposed to be made beautifully different, yet completely compatible and perfect in the garden. Sin shattered this. And now I want you to look at also what happens to Adam, because this is something we, we skip by. We skip by this so often. Back into our verse, Adam is now cursed, and the work now becomes terrible experience. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam's purpose was a caretaker. His job, if we look back into Genesis, is he's naming animals, he's talking with God. God says, this is for you to take care of. And so we can assume that I'm hungry. Oh, there's a mango. Awesome, right? So he doesn't have all this torturous toil and work wasn't something that stressed him out and put him on all sorts of heart medications because now he has high blood pressure. Work wasn't something in which he felt dominated over by. Work wasn't something in which he says, I can't wait until I retire. God, I've only got three more years and I'm retiring from working in your garden. That is not what God said. It says, you get to take care of all of this and you're with me and we're going to do this together. But now work becomes terrible. Work becomes something which we hate or loathe or we don't like. Work, in his terms, is that if you've ever worked the ground before or had to clear land, you'll know exactly what this means. My lake property, my family owns some property, and up by this, we have this lakefront, and we have this terrible thing called locust trees. You guys know locust trees. These locust bushes that come out through the ground, and on these things are these thorns that are deep thorns. And as I'm trying to, and they spread like weeds, and what they do is they take over an entire lakefront. And so I'm down there chopping these locust trees, and I've got full gloves on, and these things are poking through leather gloves. And I'm trying to clear this stuff out, and on my hands and my body, I'm scratched and scarred from top to bottom as I'm trying to pull these things out. Nothing I can do can stop these thorns, and the thorns have this 
resin slash poison. So my hands are puffing up and I'm like, this is terrible. That's a small example because I go to the supermarket. I'm like, oh, I want something to eat. Simple, right? Maybe our modern life has really started us to forget how bad sin really is sometimes. Because what was supposed to be beautiful in the terms of us working the land, eating and being a part of it, our purpose, men, we all have this purpose to provide, to work. We have that kind of that DNA inside of us. Our DNA is shattered. Women's DNA is shattered. And now sin has cursed everything. So God does something unique. And we don't see this in the passage unless we take a pause. God then goes through this and he takes animals and he covers them. God did not put them on a pedestal and say, shame, 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 shame. The shame they felt, he covered. And the first death that you see in the Bible are the animals that died, that God took life to be able to cover them with animal skin so that they could hide their own shame. Like a dad whose kids just made that terrible mistake, he comes around them and holds them, puts the clothes around them. And if we know anything or you are familiar with the Old Testament, this is the beginning of what we see in which animals give their life for the forgiveness of sins. It's the first mark in which we see a life must be taken for life to be given. And so the animals were sacrificed so that they could be covered and clothed from their sin. God would then do that in the Old Testament by having them come and confessing their sins and there'd be a sacrifice of animals. And then it was all completed when Jesus came and gave his life as the ultimate sacrifice in which all of our sins, both from our past, what you're about to do today, and all of your future is covered because of the blood of Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice. God, in the very beginning of sin, cared enough for us to cover us. And though through all the mess and through all the brokenness, and God knowing full well the cascade of what's going to happen to the year 2023, of the amount of sin that's going to be committed, was forgiven. And we see this beautiful story right in the front of what a loving Father and God that we have. So friends, in this See that sin kills and destroys. There is no freebie and there's no fast way out of it. There's nothing about sin that's going to be just a little okay. And so I'm asking you to do something big today as we start 2023. Would you pause? I'm going to give you just a minute. Pause. And would you repent? I'm not asking you to fill out any forms. I'm not asking you to talk to me or anybody. I'm asking you to talk to your papa. Talk to the one who covers us. And say, Lord, what is in my life? Search my heart, God. Where am I in sin? Purposeful knowing sin. And I'm asking you not just just to say it. Repentance isn't just like, God, forgive me. I did this. And then go on your way. Repentance is, God, forgive me. You turn and you run in the opposite direction. What is God calling you to this morning to repent of? Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world. Visit us at mosaicwi.com.